Welcome to a very special episode of Legend Lore. I'm Lauren, your friendly neighborhood wildlife biologist. And I'm Jess, game designer and frequent contributor to the Pathfinder and Starfinder RPGs. Wait a minute, you're not Lauren! Yeah, not actually. <laughs> I have taken Lauren. She's gone. I'm in charge. <laughs> Uh, but actually, I've always been here. You guys never actually get to hear me. Uh, I produce the podcast. I am Drew. Uh, I am the criminal mastermind behind every episode of removing mistakes or, you know, happy accidents, as Bob Ross would say. I think Bob Ross, yeah. Bob Ross, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in the normal times, I'm an engineer. I fix missile defense systems in my spare time, or in my main times. Uh, <laughs> but I am super new to TTRPGs in general. And I've spent a long time in radio prior to all of my, you know, Navy, military nonsense. Uh, so I am really like audio production. And it's really nice yeah. to add the nerd side of, you know, all my new friends in TTRPG communities and everything like that with my radio slash engineer side. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So being someone who's so into like radio and podcasting already, how is it that you even got into gaming? Is that related to podcasts as well? Uh, no, actually. <laughs> so when I was in the Navy, there was a lot of times when I would have to download things in order to go underway with. And I was always looking for things that I would want to listen to in my spare time because, you know, you get your two hours before you got to wake up again. So you want to listen to something for like 15 minutes before you wake up. And uh, I was looking through YouTube to download and some random thing popped up of a uh, High Rollers is a they're a British group, uh, a actual play. And I downloaded that and I listened to that for approximately four years <laughs> while I was in the Navy. And it, it hooked me. And then after I got out of the Navy, which is now, I've formed pretty much my whole life around, you know, all you amazing TTRPG people. <laughs> yeah, I've seen High Rollers too. It's a pretty good show. I've seen um, the special episodes that they did for the uh, Avatar The Last Airbender RPG. Oh, yeah. They were yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, that was good. That was good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mark Humes is also a pretty cool dude. I watch his uh, YouTube not the not the high rollers, but his like personal YouTube. He is very very in depth with how he likes to tell people how to how to do things, and he's very like I don't know, it's just something about him that makes him really likable and like what he knows he knows what he's talking about. I don't know, it's just something yeah something about him. <laughs> yeah, as far as actual play podcasts are concerned, and those are becoming like more and more a way that people get introduced into gaming and into TTRPGs. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't listen to a lot of them, but I do like Dimension 20 a lot. Oh, yeah. Brian Lee Mulligan, my boy. <laughs> yeah, I he just makes it seem like it would be so fun to sit down at the table with him. And there's so much about the way that he runs his table that feels uh, like for me, for someone who was gaming for, I don't know, like 10 years, 15 years before um, before the actual play format really took off in the way that it has now, he runs his table in a way that seems to me like, obviously he's an incredible GM, but it just feels so natural and like so much like, oh yeah, this is, this is a TTRPG table. I feel comfortable. Yeah. I feel like I could just like slide right into this table and I, you know, in my <laughs> imagination, I fit right in. Yeah. 
you know, it's just me. I'm sitting there right next to Erika Ishii. <laughs> it's, I don't know, maybe it's a combination of, like, his voices and his, oh, like, yeah. his his little accents that he has that it really, like, gets you involved in it. But also, yeah. I feel like the, the, the best thing that he does is he just really, really gets into, I don't know if the accent is really included, but he gets into the character in a way mm-hmm. that is really relatable. So yeah. when the other players are, are playing a lot and they're, they're trying to interact with that person, they're going to do what he expects them to do because he's such a relatable guy. They're like, oh, okay, well, I know what he's going to do next. Whereas a lot of times in RPGs, I feel like the, the DM doesn't have a, a strong grasp on what that character is supposed to act like. So you can't really predict what they're going to be. So I don't know. I right, think Randy right, Mulligan, yeah. like really gets you immersed and it really makes you feel I like agree. you're good at the table. Yeah, I agree. I feel like that is really his LARP background coming through because uh, he he was involved and is, I believe, still involved with like a LARP camp. I literally didn't even know he was involved in LARP. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, he has he has a background. He has a background in LARP. And so I feel like his background from doing uh, live action in the same way that someone's background in theater would help them to really like fully immerse into a character and like form an entire character just in like the character voice and the character posture and like the idiosyncrasies of uh, speech patterns and stuff like that. And so for me, I absolutely agree that the characterization of the NPCs and how distinct and full they all feel is one of the best things about Brendan Lee Mulligan's jamming. Yeah, there is, there is nothing worse than when you're at a table in the very brief experience that I've had. There's nothing worse than when you're at a table and you're like, oh, well, my character's going to do this because I think that, you know, there's no way that, that I'm going to, there's no way they're going to search me. And then the DM mm-hmm. says, well, I'm going to search you because that's what the DM wants to do, not that's what the character wants to do. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I totally get that it can completely ruin the whole experience when it's like the immersion just gets thrown off. So that's why I, right. I don't know. So, that's why I love Brendan Mulligan. Yeah. So you said that you got into actual play podcasts with high rollers. What is it that you like about Mark Humes GMing in particular? I think the best part about Mark Humes in general is like how fair he is with everybody. Like mm-hmm. he he's kind of a kind of a stickler for the rules, but also at the same time he understands that you're there to play a game. He you're mm-hmm. you're there to have fun. And sometimes he takes liberties where uh, this is the end of a character's arc and we're going to do a one-on-one, uh, there's no rules kind of thing. Okay, that I completely get that. It's supposed to be fun. It's the end of your arc. It's supposed to be climactic. But for the most part, he is uh, he's really fair in how he treats everybody. So if he allowed a character to do this one time, another character is going to be allowed to do that most likely. He doesn't like take sides or whatever i don't know i I think it's just like how equal he is with everybody and he remembers his rules that he's done as for you know the the other podcasts that i've listened to so like critical role everybody knows about critical role i mean it's probably the biggest one uh i'm surprised that i didn't get into critical role before i got into high rollers with how big critical role has gotten over the past five years but uh matt mercer uh is well, one, he's he's Bay, <laughs> but uh, also like 
I think he takes that voices thing to the next level. One, because that's like his main job is being a voice actor, but also because like he just like he really cares about his players being immersed and having like a good time, even though it's you know a ridiculous time, which is what Critic Role is all about. But <laughs> he's uh he's all about making it like a good time. In my opinion, I mean, <laughs> I've been listening for probably. I've been listening to actual plays for like seven years now, I think. Yeah. Uh, what What about you? Who Who do you have for your for your favorites? Oh, my favorites. Um, well, because Dimension Twenty is really the only actual play podcast that I listen to, I suppose I would have to say that Brendan Lee Mulligan is like my favorite. But if I were to imagine like my my dream team. Like, if I were to assemble my, like, dream podcast cast. The Avengers. The, the Avengers that, of podcasting. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my, my personal Avengers. The people that I want to game with are actually not... They are podcasters, but they're not podcasters within the actual play space. Oh, okay. I want to hear this. So, yeah. So there is... Um, there's a podcast called Boston's Favorite Son with... Mm. Uh, James Stephanie Sterling, uh, Jonathan Holmes, and Conrad Zimmerman. And the three of them have done various podcasts together over the years. I've listened to most of them, but Boston's Favorite Son is one of the current ones. And the setup of Boston's Favorite Son is that Jonathan Holmes uh, was pre he was once famous for being on Road Rules. And Jim and Conrad want to help Jonathan to be famous again. And <laughs> so I think that I, Jessica Redekop, fit perfectly into my imagined headcanon episode of Boston's Favorite Son, where I appear on their podcast. Oh, so you run. think you're an Avenger. You think you're an Avenger yes. in this case. Yeah, oh, that's okay. right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So I appear on Boston's Favorite Son. Uh, perhaps alongside someone else, perhaps not. It That's, you know, we could talk about that. But this is an episode of Boston's Favorite Son where the ploy to make Jonathan famous again is to make Jonathan a famous uh, actual play podcaster. Ah, okay. To I make see Jonathan Holmes into like the next Matt Mercer. Ah, okay. And so I will appear on this Boston's Favorite Son episode to help them to uh the episode will be running like a one shot of like a dnd or pathfinder game and so not only is the purpose of running this game be to to make jonathan holmes a famous actual play podcaster but also the contents of the one shot that i will run involve jonathan's character also seeking stardom <laughs> and so there will be opportunities for James Stephanie and for Conrad to have their characters take actions to try to make Jonathan's character famous within the narrative within the narrative. So what you're saying is I have to clip this specific part and I've got to send it to these people. And so I can try to assemble your your dream team. Oh. It's going to it's going to happen. I'm going to do it. I'm going to whatever. How how much do you think I got to pay these guys? Oh. I've tweeted at them before and they didn't respond. <laughs> well, they we're going to tweet at them again. At let's they go no direction. Like let's tweet at them and let's get <laughs> Jess in here in her dream 
podcast team so that we can make the best show ever because that sounds awesome i love that yeah what about you (laughs) who are your avengers what is your dream team so i think that my dream team is probably gonna have to be with mark humes at at the at the ready i I don't even how else to say it he's just gonna have to be himself super ridiculous uh there is one other uh guy that i would like from the high rolls crew that is chris trot and it's because chris trot is the most absent-minded, beautiful person. <laughs> and that he he doesn't pay attention to the game almost. It's just he's just like this beautiful person that is just there to have a good time. And I don't know. That's mm-hmm. like my my ideal person. I just okay. love, especially on my, I have a, a game every Sunday that I play in. And I am that guy in my game. And that everybody else is there to, everybody's like super in character and, Everybody's like uh, super, I guess, like in the rules because we play a PF1 in my uh, my okay. Sunday game. So everybody's super into the rules and doing math. And man, I'm just there to drink beer, have a good time. Uh, I'm in my character. I love my character, but I guess I'm just not. My heart isn't in it in PF1 like it is in PF2. So yeah. maybe I'm just there to drink and beer and have fun. So, yeah. but yeah. So Chris Trot, Mark Humes. Uh-huh. Yeah. I definitely think I want Matt Mercer as a player. Because Matt Mercer, oh. I think Matt Mercer, he knows the rules enough, but I definitely think he's like a part of the mess around gang, you know, like absolutely, he, he loves his shenanigans. And I think that that would make like the whole thing just like beautifully chaotic. <laughs> yeah, it, in my opinion, like the more someone is like the forever GM, the more just like unhinged chaos they get up to when they become a player and it's not yeah. because like i think people uh observe that phenomenon and then they think that it's some kind of like gm revenge ploy and playing up that angle does help you with your like uh your hardcore bloodthirsty gm yeah. persona right like the yeah. the gm sona of the hardcore gm but <laughs> what it actually is in my opinion and in my experience is that like as the GM, your role is to create conflict because you can't have story without conflict. And so as soon as you go- get into the player seat, you're still in that like gremlin, oh, I got to create conflict. I got to create interesting <laughs> scenarios, right? Like you can't get out of that. You know, you know that in yeah. order for this to be fun and interesting and compelling and to have a story, you are, you got to create conflict. And so you're still trying to set up conflict moments for the other players, but you're doing it as a player and the result <laughs> is that you are just like the worst gremlin i feel like a main dm like the forever dm is another dm's worst nightmare like every time every time you do the dm swap the dm that's in charge is now like oh oh crap <laughs> yeah no you gotta play it up like that unless you're you gotta play it up like that. you gotta play it up like that <laughs> but i don't think it's actually like that I think that you have to, well, in order to maintain your GM Sona of being (laughs) like the, oh, I'm going to murder you. This is going to be so deadly. But like secretly behind the screen, you're just like, I just want to create interesting moments for my players. Right. (laughs) Like, but in order to maintain the, the persona, in order to maintain your facade, you have to play up like, oh, this other GM at my table and they're doing all this chaos and I hate it. But like, that's, <laughs> that's not real. That's I'm, a part of the facade. 
So I don't know if you're aware of it, but there is a group called Yogscast. They were the ones that like started this. They were the British people who started hot, uh, High Rollers, and then mm-hmm. there was a bunch of other you know video games and stuff that they played. But anyway, they have Jingle Jam every year, and Jingle Jam is a big donation event that happens towards Christmas time. So mm-hmm. what they did during Christmas time for the High Rollers was to do a DM swap every time they hit a fundraiser sh- threshold. And it was nightmarish (laughs) (laughs) because it was like, you know, Mark Humes, he's having a good time. He's he's the DM. And then, boom, they hit a threshold. And now Chris Trot, who I was just talking about, is, you know, super absent-minded. I don't even know if he knows what's happening. But now he's the DM. He's got to figure out where he's taking the story next. He doesn't know where the story was going, but he's got to take the story somewhere next. And then it jumps over to someone else who is a super super inexperienced dm but you know he made it work and i don't know it's just all over the place because mark humes is just sowing discontent yeah. the entire time because he's so good oh, at the yeah. game. but but you want that kind of chaos in a donation <laughs> event because it's that chaos that the viewers are donating for exactly exactly <laughs> um so what kind of experience do you have with these ttrpgs i know i've talked a lot about mine but what about you yeah, so I've been I've been gaming for a real long time. Uh, the first kind of like less formal like freeform role playing that I got into was like back in like I don't know 1995 1997 in just like chat rooms and Yahoo groups. Uh, and I played my first actual TTRPG when I was in high school, when I joined a uh, a D and D second edition game that some of my friends who I met. Uh, just playing like Magic the Gathering or through the anime club. Can we rewind uh, back to the fact that you said you started this on Yahoo Groups? Yeah, Yahoo Groups <laughs> back, in, back in the 90s. <laughs> back in the day, you know, Yahoo back Groups. Back in the 90s. I don't think I've ever actually been on Yahoo Groups. I don't know. Oh, maybe yeah. I'm maybe I'm showing my maybe I'm showing my younger age, but I don't think I've ever maybe. actually been on Yahoo Groups. Is that there was, was that a thing when... back in the day? Oh yeah, there was a time when Yahoo Groups was like a hub of freeform role playing. There were a lot of them. Oh wow, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I I mean, I wasn't involved in TTRPGs back then, but I definitely was not on Yahoo Groups trying to find like. Oh, I guess I yeah. I guess I was never well, trying to find were, anything. Yeah, I mean, they were like freeform role playing, so it was just like uh, fan fiction writing, but like collaborative, right? So I had uh, I had one that I ran with like my high school best friend that was like just completely freeform uh, original characters or you could play any character from anything and you would just like write your posts back and forth to other people uh yahoo groups was kind of like a, an online web forum and so it was like forum role playing uh there were no rules you just decided narratively what how powerful your character was and what your character could do <laughs> and you would just kind of like write back and forth with other people uh, so and... the one that I ran with my friend was like completely open. Uh, it was like vaguely anime themed, but it was like me and my friend mainly played original characters, and then other people joined and played whatever they wanted. It was very uh, like that the webcomic Elf Only Ian. <laughs> okay. It was well, like it was like that. It was is like there Elf anything Only like that nowadays. I don't think there is. I've never heard uh... anything like this before ever. I mean, uh... there's still there's still a lot of forum role playing going on. Uh, that is like freeform, but they've moved. I don't know if it still happens on Yahoo groups. There's a lot of it that happens in like the the free uh, web, like the free forum hosting kind of companies, like your your 
what are they, like the Zeta boards and those kind of things now. Oh, okay. I figured someone like and that so, would take over in like Reddit, maybe? Would people do that in Reddit? Hmm. Maybe, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know, man. I was... <laughs> I'm not I'm not There's super a... acclimated to this community, so I'm not a hundred percent certain. I just saw that yeah. you were like super nonchalant about like, yeah, and I started oh, yeah. Not Yahoo groups and then oh, all yeah. right, I'm gonna continue on. <laughs> it's like, whoa, yeah. whoa, 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 let's rewind. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was it was in high school that I started playing like actual TTRPGs. And so the first game that I played was D second edition. We did that for one session and I died. Uh, after that, we started a third edition campaign, uh, and my character for this first third edition campaign was, uh, like, it had extreme, like, first character energy, right? Like, first character that I've ever made in Dungeons & Dragons, and I'm, like, an edgy teenager, right? So <laughs> I had a drow sorceress. Oh, that's who... so edgy. That's so edgy. And then... <laughs> Because dual wielding is cool, and I love Miyamoto Musashi, uh, I had my sorceress multi-class into ranger, even though I was a sorceress and I had no reason to be using melee weapons whatsoever. Okay. I multi-classed into ranger. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then the GM gave me a cursed sword that turned me into a vampire. All and right, so I, I see, was no, a, see, no problems. Yeah, I was a vampire, drow, sorcerer, rogue, dual wielding, uh, like a, a bastard sword, and then like a different lighter weapon in my offhand. <laughs> That's so complicated. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, this third edition. This is like you know, one of your first characters too. Like you're doing this like that first... super super complicated, complicated, you know. Okay, please understand this. This was complicated, but please understand that this was a bad character. There is no good reason for this character to have multiclassed into Ranger. I should have continued taking sorcerer levels and gotten more powerful spells. I did not. <laughs> I wanted to dual wield, but I wanted to play a sorcerer who dual wielded. This is not a good choice. I did not build this character well whatsoever. It's a bad character. I, I don't want anyone to be under any illusions that I was doing any kind of like optimizing my my uh how i combined these classes i was not it was terrible well i feel like i did something kind of i don't want to cut off your your past experiences story but i also no. uh did something super not well optimized for my first character which was mm -hmm. uh his name was trainoon he's a pf1 mm -hmm. character and uh i had the build built by uh one of the guys in my group who was a uh, he was just a player at the time he's my current dm mm -hmm who decided that he sh I should play a Hospitaller, Hospitaller Oath of Charity Paladin, which mm -hmm. in theory is an amazing build. If, if, you, if you can build it right and you can start from level one and go all the way through the game, you could build a very, very, very well-rounded Paladin. But I was brand new, so I made this awful paladin <laughs> out of this amazing build that he gave me and uh i thought i was doing this amazing build and then i got to about level six and uh all my other friends around me were all doing insane amounts of damage or sneaking around with like 35 to 40 skill checks you know and then mm -hmm. there's me over there like well you know i got i got a pretty good ac <laughs> yeah so yeah, I I completely understand. Like, even if someone helps you, you're still gonna make probably a terrible character for your first build. <laughs> it's probably gonna yeah. be awful. 
Yeah, that was a real shortcoming, in my opinion, of like the the third edition D and D and the games that evolved out of it. So like Pathfinder One as well suffered from this, where a lot of um, there were just it was so easy to make like a bad character and the gulf that was created between a good character and a bad character was so enormous because not all feats are created equal. Some feats are good and not only good, but necessary for you to take like weapon focus mm -hmm. yeah. or spell focus or power attack or toughness. Those are all good feats that actually like materially help your character to do things. Uh, whereas there are so many other feats that are just not even remotely the same thing. Like weapon focus and skill focus are not equivalent. They don't do the same amount for your character. They don't, they, they existing as a choice between like, should I take power attack or should I take a, a skill focus? Like that was, it's such an unbalanced choice. And when you are new to the game and you don't understand that some of these choices are not actually choices, there are right answers and wrong answers. It is so easy to create a character where you are picking the feats that are like they're right for the story of your character or they're right for like i want to play a really sneaky character therefore i'm going to load up on like skill focused stealth yeah but you're actually creating a character who once you get into a combat like sure you can roll great stealth but what else are you actually going to do in this combat other than roll great stealth you're not going to do anything because there's nothing else on this character and armor class especially is so dangerous uh, because I feel like new players don't understand that tanking in a TTRPG does not, especially in like a, a D and D or D and D like descended uh, game, a tanking does not work the same way as it does in like an MMO. In an I, MMO, you I ran yeah, into in that. An MMO, I literally ran into that. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so like you built your paladin thinking that by having an ac you were going to be the tank and the enemies were going to attack you and you were going to absorb blows for your party but in reality what happens is you have a high ac so the enemies can't hit you but you also can't hit the enemies and can't deal appreciative uh, appreciable damage to the enemies so why would they bother attacking you why would they go after you at all there's no incentive for the enemy to attack you because exactly they can't hit you they can't hit you and even if they just leave you alive you're not a threat to them yeah i'm just i'm a big rock on the battlefield that's doing like minimal amounts of damage per turn and then there's yeah. like entire uh sections of the campaign that you hit creatures with what i didn't realize at the time but i knew that there was things that had dr and mm -hmm. I didn't do the damage to overcome the DR. So now I am yeah. literally a rock on the battlefield. So unless I'm uh, doing status effects or I, you know, I get my whatever your three paladin spells per <laughs> level, like you, you have to bring the right spells with you in order to deal with the, the monster that you're fighting. And I just couldn't deal with it. So what I ended up having was one, a super high, C I, high AC rock with mm -hmm. no damage and then mm -hmm. i was like oh okay well i'll be a healer well healer and mm -hmm. pf1 doesn't really work there's no not really much reason to have in combat healing in mm -hmm. pf1 so yeah. instead i was kind of just this useless charismatic character with my party and they basically just used me for diplomacy checks it's basically the only thing they used me for so i mean there's you learn everything in your first character and 
I've I only got to level five in that, or sorry, mm-hmm. I got to level seven in that character before that party disintegrated because apparently D and D groups or or Pathfinder groups also are very hard to keep together uh, with yeah. adults. So. Yeah, there's a lot of things that contribute to that, but yeah, it is true. Scheduling games is very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> uh, other than PF1, though, what other games have you played? So, other than PF1, uh, so <laughs> when I was a kid, my mm-hmm. dad told me about D&D. Uh, I oh. was probably, this was in, I don't know, 2002. I went to Barnes & Noble, and I found the... D&D book about dragons and I thought that this book was the coolest thing since sliced bread because yeah. of the artwork and everything in there and I told my dad yeah. I want to play Dungeons and Dragons and he said absolutely you realize that book is $40 <laughs> and I was like yeah I want it and uh, I ended up bothering him until he got me for got it for me and mm-hmm. I thought that this dragon book was all I needed to learn how to play D&D it's, it's not uh, how that works. I yeah. studied the crap out of this dragon book, and I learned nothing. And then eventually, for my birthday, I think it was like three months later, my dad got me a uh, starter kit for D&D. Well, yeah. no one explained to me that you need friends to play with. So I tried to play D&D by myself in my room, and I was both DM and player. And I thought it was the stupidest thing I'd ever played because I was like, why wouldn't I just play myself? Why, why don't I just like say screw you and do whatever I want? So I didn't understand how the game worked. No one explained it to right. me. My dad just said it was this amazing game that he played when he was in college. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll give it a shot. Well, I, uh, I gave it away for, I don't know, 10 years. You know, went to college, joined the military, you know, everything like that. Well, it wasn't until I started listening to 5th edition uh, in those uh, actual plays that I really started getting into it. Um, right, yeah. And I listened to those for the entire time I was in the military. I got out, and then uh, after I got out of the military, I had this huge hole in my life. I was like, man, I I feel like I need friends. I need a group or a family to join, and I, I didn't quite understand what I was getting into when I joined a D&D groups of Jacksonville facebook post Mm -hmm. and uh one guy invited me to come and play pathfinder and uh at the time i thought pathfinder was just a story or a book within D &D. I didn't know what it was and he said hey man we play pathfinder and i was like oh okay whatever you guys play D &D. all right i'll figure it out and uh because i'd listened to actual plays for like you know five years before that yeah. And uh turns out I had no idea what I was talking about. He told me to do a reflex save, and I was like, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that was a steep learning curve. Uh, it was PF1. There's a lot of math. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were playing on Fantasy Grounds, which is a uh, virtual tabletop that is a mm-hmm. also a very steep learning curve. <laughs> so I have no idea why I stayed with this. <laughs> I should have given up, like, you know, two years ago <laughs> but uh but you were having fun oh i i had so much fun i don't understand i don't understand why i was having so much fun but like the math associated with trying to get a character work working and then everybody else around me was making these like super amazing like characters 
I don't know. It just it drives you to make these like super amazing characters, and you have no idea what you're doing because all I had access to was the uh, what is it? It's the uh, PFSRD. Is that what it is yeah. for Pathfinder One? It's yeah. like the online website, uh, and it has a list of 500 different feats to choose from, and it doesn't give any oh, suggestions yeah. and. I was like, man, I'll just look through these 500 feats. And yeah, apparently you build garbage characters when you don't have any sort of guidance. So <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, Pathfinder 1 inherited a lot of that from 3rd edition D&D. Yeah, that's why. So originally it was Lauren. Lauren got me into, uh, and, you know, I, I will throw a shout out to Lauren. She's literally my favorite person in the world. And there's a reason that I joined this podcast Lauren brings light to everything, as I'm sure you all know, and I uh, I love that Lauren brought me into PF2 because PF2 is like this like beautiful thing that you can just go on Path Builder and you build this character and there's like one million options, but it's I don't know why it's easier. I, don't, I honestly don't know why it's easier to build in PF2, but Path Builder just like made it easier. I guess I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So you edit. Uh, you do our like audio production for Legend Lore, but you also are one of the players on the Tavern Rats podcast where we're playing Quest for the Frozen Flame. Right, play a very personality messy barbarian, yeah. <laughs> and so is Quest for the Frozen Flame, is this game that we're playing uh, in our podcast, is this your first experience with PF2? Yeah, that's it's my my first time doing anything in pf2 like literally i was invited onto the show and they mm -hmm. said hey here's this 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 path builder thing just go and build a character we don't care what it is and i was like all right i guess i'll figure it out and i'm i made zoroku who is probably but zoroku is like my favorite character that has happened that i have ever listened to or watched in any show or anything like that so that is actually released as of tuesday this week uh I don't know if you guys are going to like him. I like him a lot. He's my favorite. But uh, you guys feel free to uh, feel free to give me uh, an idea of how you like him. He's really messy personality-wise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, go and listen to the first episode of the Tavern Rats podcast, our first session of Quest for the Frozen Flame. And then you can go right into the No Direction Discord, and you can give Drew your direct feedback. You can tell him, like, on a scale from 1 to 10, how much you like Soroku. You can yeah. assign a numerical value. On a scale of 1 to 10, how you would build Soroku <laughs> differently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did a pretty good job. I think I think I did a pretty good job on this one because... Yeah, Soroku is cool. I had our beautiful DM, Mimi, who helped me yeah. with building Soroku in a, a better way. And Lauren mm -hmm. obviously helped me. And then I had Jess, who's like a genius, also help. <laughs> Because she's like, I don't know, this writer genius girl. So, well. <laughs> yeah. Well, you say you you are you're <laughs> not you're not going to accept any sort of amount of praise. But also, when I was making this character, and you had like these like teeny tiny little like, oh, maybe you should like change it to be like this. It was like, oh yeah, maybe I'll try that. And then it ended up being like amazing. I didn't see it at the time, but it ended up being this like <laughs> amazing character. So. Yeah, so what's your experience going from PF1 to PF2 been like? Uh, I mean, other than just, like, I feel bad that I'm playing PF1 games still. Oh. <laughs> I, I kind of wish that we had switched my PF1 game that we have on Sundays to being a PF2 game. 
but mm-hmm. other than that like the the switch to pf2 is it's a little you feel kind of childish when you switch to pf2 because you're like they're like oh there's okay. this three action system and you can do whatever you want and you're like yeah. oh okay well that's kind of dumb but then when you really start playing with it and you start seeing like well this one costs two actions and this one costs three mm-hmm. actions and you know like really it, it feels ridiculous in the beginning because you're like oh i could just move three times but mm-hmm. that doesn't really set you up for anything or i don't know i don't mm-hmm. know why it works but it does it just works really well so my yeah, first it's reaction very clever yeah my first reaction was like well that's that's stupid i mean Whereas, like, the, you know, <laughs> you get your movement action, you get your uh, main your your uh, main action. I don't think that's what mm-hmm. it's called, right? Free action, main action. I don't know, man. I'm new to all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I kind of like that they're separated out in other systems. Mm-hmm. But also, at the same time, playing PF2 is just, like, it's exactly what I love about just going to play in TTRPGs is... I like to just go and do what my character would want to do and have a good time. Like, yeah, my character in the system is not going to be worried about like, well, I moved 30 feet and then I can only attack this turn with this hand. And then maybe I can use this hand, but then I also have a spell in my back. No, he's not going to be worried about that. He's going to be mm-hmm. like, man, I got six seconds. What am I going to do in those six seconds? And I don't know. Yeah. It helps with like the immersion. Yeah, yeah. In Pathfinder 1, I feel like a lot of the strategy for your character comes into, like, which feats you've taken. So can you power attack? Or can you do a whirlwind attack? Can you do uh, these other different things, right? Like, can you do a a flyby attack? Or, um... Mm -hmm. So... like you, you gain access to actions through your feats, and the, the feats that you've taken that give you actions are what builds up the strategy of your turn. Whereas in PF2, I feel like the strategy of your turn is less about the feats that you have chosen, though those are, you know, they're of course they're relevant to your yeah, character. Yeah, they're important. But the, the strategy on your turn comes down to how you are going to take the different building blocks that you have the different actions that you have and how you are going to combine them together and so the strategy instead of just being like do i have access to this action or not the strategy is more like which of my other actions does this combine with and what do i want to prioritize on a given turn yeah i i I think that literally says exactly what i just said (laughs) i think that is the perfect way of saying that in that when you're playing pf2 you are playing your character with a rule system, whereas when you're playing mm-hmm. PF1, you are playing a rule system that also has to play your character. I think that's, yeah. like, the the best way to say that. Yeah, so it sounds like you prefer Pathfinder 2. Oh, is there I anything? <laughs> is there anything about Pathfinder 1 that you actually like better, though? So, anything that you feel like PF1 does better? So after my uh, original group disbanded we made another group and that was also pf1 because that's all i knew at the Mm -hmm. time and uh i made a trip slash disarm fighter and Mm -hmm. uh uh he's he's not a nice guy uh but the feats that fighters get in pf1 i guess maybe i haven't played with a fighter enough in the pf2 builds but Mm -hmm. the uh the feats that i had 
and slash have are really, really good. Uh, I have a trip disarm fighter with combat patrol and uh, yeah, it's (laughs) with, with like five or six attacks of opportunity around. It's basically just Mm -hmm. like if anybody within smelling distance of him does anything, it's, it's time to go. (laughs) So I don't know. It's a lot of fun in combat. I mean, fighters don't exactly get the amount, the, the best skill points, but you know he's he's a lot of fun in combat so there's you know yeah. the the rogue in the party who's doing all the interesting stuff off from the stealth and the diplomacy and the lore checks yeah, and yeah. no there's then there's me i'm a stupid idiot in the corner just waiting for combat but <laughs> yeah it's funny that you say that you don't actually know what the pf2 fighter is like yet because there is kind of a community meme that the PF2 fighter is like the most OP powerful class. Oh, in the game. really? <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't wait for Soroku to die so I can re-roll another <laughs> character. <laughs> no. No, I, I can't. Mean... I will. I will cry horrible crocodile tears if Soroku dies. <laughs> <laughs> but you could also like if you were to look at the fighter options and see that there are fighter class feats that you're interested in, you could take the fighter multi-class archetype and pick some of those up Ooh, i could but then Zoroku might actually have to be smart in combat and not just charge at the first thing that interests him (laughs) so i guess whether or not he's a fighter or not doesn't change his personality so yeah you're right i could i could take that fighter archetype yeah that's why i love editing this podcast because you guys teach me so much just from like me listening to you guys as i edit it like the uh the different what was it the Caden one that was recent mm-hmm. I love that Caden one and then the Hobgoblin one I don't know how you guys knew that stuff and then I don't know it's just like awesome listening to you guys make builds all the time and yeah I don't even know how you guys do that you guys just make yeah. awesome builds all the time and I've made three builds and two of them are all right <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so you've played PF1, you've played some PF2, mm-hmm. and you've listened to a lot of D&D uh, podcasts. Are there yeah. any other games that you're interested in checking out? So me and Lauren have discussed in our spare time of mm-hmm. us possibly doing a 40k TTRPG. Um, oh. I, know, I, I know there's a lot of different ones, but this yeah. one we're talking about is Wrath and Glory. I think that's the main mm-hmm. one. Uh, yeah. Well, we've talked about doing that because Lauren turned me on to 40K when we started playing Dark Tide. I think it was last year sometime. Yeah. And I was always screaming, for the Emperor, for the Emperor, like every <laughs> yeah, yeah, every yeah, yeah. every moment I got. So she was of like, course. oh, man, like, you know, he's, he's, he's into this. <laughs> so she's trying to convince me to do this Wrath and Glory. I mean, as soon as she's done being like, you know, a successful biologist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Wrath and Glory is the one that Warhams used when they were doing their uh, Warhammer 40k podcast. Oh yeah, you were talking about. You told me about Warhams yeah. briefly, and a I, little bit. Yeah, I think I, you should check that out. I really do want to check that out because that sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but other than the 40k TTRPG, uh, <laughs> specifically Wrath and Glory, I would want to do maybe a Curse of Strahd 5e campaign. I don't Ooh. know. I. I love like the spooky horror uh, aspect of TTRPGs of like, ooh, what would you do? And I'm like, oh yeah. man, I would run away. <laughs> uh, Ravenloft is a very cool setting and there's like a lot of history too 
uh, if you look back in like the various incarnations of the Ravenloft adventures and like the Strahd adventures, like Strahd as a character has existed for so long, like so far back in D&D history. I hadn't even heard of Ravenloft until you just talked about it. I think maybe I had heard in passing of Ravenloft, but I didn't, mm -hmm. I don't know anything about what it's about. Is it about vampires? Uh, Ravenloft is the name of like the horror setting that Curse of Strahd takes place in. Oh. And so it's like an entire campaign setting like Golarian. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that sounds good to me. <laughs> maybe, yeah. I, maybe I don't actually want to play 5th edition Curse of Strahd. Maybe I just want to play Ravenloft. Maybe, but there's a, there's a lot of, like, there's a 5th edition Ravenloft book that they put out, but then there's also, like, uh, information source books uh, for various other earlier editions of D&D that talk about Ravenloft, too. Ooh, and then there's also a lot, a lot of fan content. So there are, like, Ravenloft fan forums that they might or might not be active anymore but you can still kind of browse uh all of the fan content that's been produced around this setting and ravenloft has this in common with uh my favorite setting the planescape setting Ooh, well man you don't you make like a man you make like a planeswalker like every episode what is it genie genie kin you make, make a genie yeah, kin like every episode I make the genie kins. <laughs> yeah yeah uh but that's very... Is that related to Planeswalkers? Maybe I just don't know enough about it in order to... <laughs> well, so Planescape was a D&D &D setting mm -hmm. that focused on, like, the outer planes and philosophy and the different kind of, like, philosophical beliefs that people who don't live on the material plane might subscribe to and, like, the different things that they might believe are, like, the, the meaning of the multiverse or the secret of unlocking the power of the multiverse or this and that. And so Planescape is a very cool setting and you could call someone who is a planar traveler a plane walker but a planes walker is like a magic the gathering character oh okay Maybe that's where i've heard that before i've been to a convention yeah. or two in my time and mm -hmm. I've, I've totally heard of planes walkers before and I'm, that's probably yeah. where i've heard yeah. of it yeah they call all of like the the main character named like special magic the gathering people the planes walkers and then oh. if you look on their their cards like it'll say like creature planes walker or whatever uh, okay. legendary planes walker yeah i'm like like i said like i am a nerd at heart but only recently <laughs> am i yeah. embracing that nerd at heart usually i'm under my 09 mustang gt banging on it with <laughs> wrenches and stuff like that so i don't know i just don't know this realm as much as you and lauren and that's why i love listening to you guys because you guys are like yeah i don't know you're so smart <laughs> well you're you're also really fun to talk to because you're so enthusiastic about I, gaming. I love all of this stuff i love yeah. all of it but also at the same time I know that I don't know a lot, so <laughs> that's why it's awesome talking to people that do know a lot because, mm -hmm. I don't know, like, it's always nice hearing about other people that are passionate. Like, you and Lauren, you and Lauren are also very passionate about all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, like, like you literally do this almost for a job. I'm pretty sure it's your, yeah. it is your job. <laughs> yeah. So, and Lauren, she basically makes it her job in her <laughs> spare time in order to be able to yeah. do all this stuff. So you guys like know so much about the lore and like when we're playing the Tavern Rats crew, you guys will be like, yeah, it's the, the world wound. And I'm like, what's that? And then you give me like a 25 minute explanation about the world yeah. wound and demons versus demons. I don't know. Something, something yeah. uh, demons, demons and devils. There's demons, there's yeah. demons, there's demons, there's devils. Yeah. 
uh, as for our Tavern Rats characters, speaking of Tavern Rats. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I think Zoroku is definitely the best character that I've made so far. Like, mm -hmm. as I was saying before, he's like my favorite personality wise. I think he's the most well built so far. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really hard to tell because we're level one, but <laughs> he seems, he seems very, uh, very well built so far. I've got him built to a point, I think. Uh, but he's a, he's a winter orc barbarian who yeah. is has a kind of tricky past where he got a, a frozen demon put in him. So uh very it's spooky. Yeah, it's, he's super cold emo. <laughs> yeah. Uh what what about you? Tell me tell me about your I know I know about yeah. it, but the other the other kids don't. Yeah, so if you've listened to Tavern Rats episode one, you will have met my character Soulsade. And Soulsade is a fire sorceress so there's going to be lots of fireballs in my future <laughs> oh, fire fireballs of every level yeah me and but, uh, uh, me and zoroku and fireballs do not get along so it's going to be interesting you will learn. Yeah. You will learn. <laughs> but soulsaid is uh in fact one of my many genie kin she is a sylph and she is specifically a sylph with a kirin ancestor and so that's why she is like a sylph, so that's like the air elemental, and then her fire magic is like the, the fire and the air of the Kirin manifest in her. And so she has like a big fluffy Kirin tail, and she has like some big antlers, but then uh, ignoring her antlers, she's like five foot zero, very short. And so <laughs> she's just like tiny, she's soft spoken. She's a little bit nervous about setting things on fire accidentally or like the, the destructive power that fire could have if she lost control of it, which she doesn't want. Uh, she wants to maintain her control of the fire. And so she's, she's a little bit like soft-spoken, nervous, uh, sometimes uncertain, but there have been a couple moments in some of the episodes that we've recorded for future release where she has actually, you know, maybe she does have a, a little bit of like a, a stronger side to her too, uh, coming to the defense of her friends. Which is, I don't know, it's crazy that she's so shy all the time and then Zoroku is just like the stark opposite of all of this. <laughs> Zoroku is just like, I don't care what you think, what you think, mm -hmm. we're going to kill people and it's going to be a good time. And then yeah. there's Jess's character who's just like, I'm really nice. Well, she's she's really nice, but also she could set you on fire. So oh, absolutely. 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 I, I mean, I don't think Zoroku wants anything to do with fighting Soulsade. <laughs> There's oh, no. never going to be a time that the frozen orc guy who has ice in his blood wants to fight the cute, really nice fire girl. <laughs> yeah. There's no time that he's going to want to do that. Yeah, I think that uh, Soroku and Soulsade, specifically out of the entire party, are really set up for a lot of like drama and conflict and like fun moments in the future oh, not yeah. only because of like the fire and ice dichotomy but also just like soulsaid is a sorcerer magic is like literally just in her blood she is like magical descended from a magical creature magic is what she does whereas zoroku is like 
he's he's a superstition barbarian, right? Yeah, he's very superstitious because of what happened to him with the mm-hmm. the the frozen uh, demon that was put inside of him. He mm-hmm. is very superstitious, and he doesn't like magic. He doesn't want that thing to happen again. He's not very smart yeah. either, so he's not right. Sh- but he has yeah. he has like something traumatic involving yeah. magic that happened to him, and so exactly. he has all of this fear about magic and people using magic to hurt him again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that creates like a really like Soul Save might be his friend, and Soul Save might be. You know, she might be really nice and shy, but she also wields this power that is scary and is, like, a source of trauma for him. Yeah, there's definitely some tense moments. Yeah. But he also it's loves you. Be... He also loves it's... you secretly. Oh, secretly, yeah. he's into it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's going to be so fun to explore this dynamic oh, going yeah. forward. It's going to be really good. Yes. <laughs> So we also have some listener questions for you from the Discord. And if you want to ask uh, your questions on an episode of Legend Lore, you can join the Legend Lore Discord. And every time we are doing an episode, we will put out the call for uh, what the episode is about, and you can submit those questions. So we have a question first from patron Paper Ninja, who asks, what condition are you most afraid of in Pathfinder 2? So, for me, it's definitely mm-hmm. dying. <laughs> yeah, these are these are all questions for you. Yeah. So so dying, one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely not cool. But I know oh, yeah. that that's the easy answer. So, mm-hmm. uh, I think drained is probably the next answer. The fact that yeah. you slowly like lose. Uh, fortitude checks and constitution checks mm-hmm. and you're losing hp the whole time oh yeah i don't know i can see how I've, it's never happened to me but i can see how it would slowly become very desperate and yeah. scary for your character because once what happens when your max hit points hit zero do you just flat out die oh yeah oh yeah well i figured something like that would happen and now drains even scarier to me because <laughs> yeah. i wasn't sure until i just started talking so yeah 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 I'm definitely uh, patron... not a fan of Drain. Oh, yeah, it's a deadly one. <laughs> patron Dom asks, what was your biggest pain point in picking up Pathfinder 2? And how do you think that could be mitigated for other new players joining uh, a Pathfinder 2 game? Um, so the biggest pain point for me, and it's a really kind of small pain point because mm-hmm. coming from PF1, PF2 is so easy. The biggest problem right. was that there are so many options available to you within the path builder. I mean, I don't know if everybody uses path builder, but that's definitely what I was directed towards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I literally spent probably five hours on path builder. Once I was pointed towards it. <laughs> of, yeah. Hey man, just make a character. And I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll make this, I'll make a gnome sorcerer. He'll be kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And then, Oh, maybe maybe not a gnome sorcerer, but you know, since I can have this feat tree, then maybe I'll change him to be a barbarian. So maybe I'll have a no barbarian, and slowly that mm-hmm. evolved into Zoroku. It, it was yeah. ridiculous. I had a gnome sorcerer to begin with, and then I ended with Zoroku, who is a winter orc barbarian. So there's just so yeah. many options that, I mean, unless you got the time. You're not going to want to investigate all these options. <laughs> yeah, it can be overwhelming if you don't have someone to maybe like curate what you're looking at. Well, I had the opposite. I had Lauren, mm-hmm. who 
curates <laughs> all of the options. So I'm yeah. like, man, I think I'm getting pretty happy with this character. And she's like, but what if? <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, no! <laughs> so then I completely changed the whole character. <laughs> yeah. So I could have had a Gnomes of Sorcerer going into this campaign, but Lauren just you had to have. Lauren just had to be this super extra amazing personality that got me to change. <laughs> yeah. Patron Andrew Mullen asks, are there any particular bits of lore that have caught your eye? Uh, okay. So I'm a sailor, as I said before. I was prior Navy. Yeah. And uh, this Caden stuff that from uh, Caden Kalian, that it mm. is my favorite that I've heard in all the all of the universe. So, so I played in Curse of the Crimson Throne, which was mm. in Corvosa, and then we played Quest for the Frozen Flame, which is which in, we're just uh, starting now. Yes, yeah. which is the realm of the Mammoth Lords. I don't know what it is, but Corvosa is kind of depressing. Right. <laughs> and Quest for the Frozen Flame is in the Maryland Mammoth Lords, and it's not exactly the most culturous area. So I haven't well, got it a ton you of lore. You haven't, like, experienced a lot of it yet, too. Like, oh, we're only a fair. couple of sessions in, and, like, there's all, you have a, you haven't seen a lot of this adventure path yet. Yeah, that's so fair. So it's, it's fair, it's fair to say that maybe nothing in, like, the first couple hours has gripped you yet, but we're, we're still at the beginning. That's fair. There's probably a lot of lore to be had. Oh, yeah. But my other experience with these TTRPGs with, is with your guys' stuff. And my favorite yeah. episode that I've edited so far was the Caden episode. Because yeah. it just, like, I don't know. It just gets me in my soul of the guy who is unlucky and drinking and just loves a good time. I don't know. There's just something about him. And you guys were saying, basically, that if you, you knocked a drink off from the table by accident that Caden's not cool with that. And he may actually <laughs> remove your boons because <laughs> you accidentally knock someone's drink off the table. And well, I was like, well, well, maybe, maybe I heard that wrong, but I he... mean, if it was an accident, he might not be offended, but if you intentionally wasted alcohol, oh, that's definitely fair. that's yeah. no good. Yeah. That made me, yeah. That's what I was thinking is that, well, yeah. I know personally, I would never intentionally waste alcohol. So maybe I'm Caden yeah. real life. Caden <laughs> is a popular god. Lots of people relate <laughs> to him. He's, well, he's a... What is there not to like? I mean, I know yeah. he's very popular, and I'm usually not the guy that just likes everything that's popular. But Caden's but, just, what Kaden, is there not to like? <laughs> yeah, he's popular for a reason. Yeah, so patron Vardok Bloodstone wants to know, what is the number one thing a GM can do to make you feel welcome at their table? So I think that this is... I think we should start with you on this one, Jess. I mean, I have a lot of experience with role-playing, so there's not a lot of things that a GM would could do that would make me feel unwelcome necessarily, other than, like, obviously, like, being rude to me or being rude yeah. to someone else at the table. So, like, I feel like when people are just starting out with role-playing, they do kind of need to be invited in a little bit more, you know, like a, like a vampire. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> come in, yes, you know what come I mean. in. <laughs> you know what I mean. Like you, you have to take a, a little bit more um, special care to make sure that new players uh, know that, like, there are some moments where, like, you definitely should be speaking up and interjecting. Like, even if other people are talking, like, there's no reason for you to let them dominate that conversation. Like, you are welcome to participate as well. You don't have to wait for them to stop. 
And yeah. this depends on the table as well. Like different tables have different people playing in them and different people have different ways that they engage in social situations. And so there's a lot that, there's a lot to be said for just like knowing the vibe of the group that you're playing with. And so for me, uh, I think the number one thing that a GM could do to make me feel welcome at the table is just having uh, a couple times for, like, if there are people in the group who don't know each other yet, just making sure that everyone has the opportunity to meet each other outside of the game first before playing together so that everyone kind of has each other's vibe a little bit more and knows, uh, has, has more of a, a baseline for how you interact with that person outside of the game so that you have a better idea of how you want to interact with that person inside of the game. No, that's perfect. Like, let that the DM just has to find or GM has to find a way in order to involve you in a way that they have to recognize that I'm so I'm a super extrovert. They have to find mm -hmm. a way for introverts to get brought out. Mm -hmm. I'm going to find yeah. my way into a campaign. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. I'm going to barge my way into that campaign. And I'm going to find my spot. But not everybody is going to feel that. The most important thing that a, a GM could do is just give you a special moment that's like, hey, I pull you aside. And, and like even an introvert might not like that very much, but it's something that's making, giving you time in order to talk because everybody else, like you were saying, is already mm -hmm. comfortable. Everybody already knows kind of what their character is like and they know what it's going to mm -hmm. happen. It's uh, Yeah, it can, I think it can be overwhelming for new players to overcome the um how silly it feels to talk in your character voice especially if other people at the table maybe aren't doing it yeah so like if there are people at the table already who are talking in their character voice then it maybe feels safer for you to do it too but if everyone at the table is newer and nobody is talking in their character voice it can the the kind of the fear of sounding stupid can be overwhelming I mean, there's a lot of people that are experienced, like Pathfinder players that I know, still mm -hmm. don't use voices. So yeah, it's, well, it's, it's a it's a matter of preference. But there's also yeah. um, there there's a difference between like uh, doing an accent or changing your voice oh, versus okay. just talking in your character voice, right? Like, yeah. you don't have to do an accent to talk in your character voice. I don't and, know, I love an, an accent, <laughs> an I accent love might not a always. Accent. <laughs> yeah, it might not always be appropriate for every character, though. Yeah, I mean, I can, I get they're... that. If you're playing an elf who is a very normal guy, or a human who's a very normal guy, you know, it kind of mm -hmm. makes sense that you wouldn't have an accent. To me, yeah. any character that I ever play is gonna have some stupid accent. Just, I'm ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when you were making Zoroku, uh, we have a question here from listener J.F. Collins too. Uh, what came first, character concept or mechanics? and why um, so when you were creating Zoroku like what was the order that you approached this in you said that you were looking around in Path Builder did the like mechanical options of the Barbarian inspire you to create Zoroku or did you get the idea of this Barbarian and then seek out the mechanics that would fit so I am a very character driven person I feel like mm -hmm. if I'm playing an RP game I'm going to RP so yeah. uh I will always have a character idea in mind before I even start dealing with mechanics. So, for example, when I mentioned that I was going to do a gnome barbarian, he was going yeah. to be a very Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde 
gnome barbarian and it was, he was going to have things take over or whatever. So, uh, I feel like I always go with character concept first. And then, however, the man mechanics like push me, uh, uh, I'll go that way. But yeah. I think it's the most important part to playing an RP game is playing an RP game. I don't know. I, I don't really, I feel like the RP should be the primary thing that you're there to do. Mm-hmm. My DM in my Sunday games is mm-hmm. an optimizer. He is all about the math and the, mm-hmm. this, it doesn't work efficiency wise and I feel like right. you should be, you should you should make a character and play a character, and then the mechanic should support that. So, I don't know. Yeah. What about what about you? What do you what do you think? It depends. Sometimes the mechanics inspire concepts for me. So, like sometimes if I'm browsing different feats or different mechanics, I will get an idea for how that mechanic could be expressed as a character, and so then the the mechanics are first, and then they inspire a concept. Okay. But other times. Um, I will have a character concept in mind and then I will like look through the mechanics for the thing that fits best. But in PF2, there's so many options that you can yeah. choose from. I feel like you can make any character Absolutely, yeah. concept or mechanic into a concept. Like, you know, I feel like mm-hmm. you can make it work in any way. And I think they did really well with that. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of good options and there's a lot of opportunity to like customize your character or create like a particular kind of specific character depending on like the combination of your ancestry, your heritage, your class and then if you're going to take an archetype, there's a lot of archetypes that are specifically designed to like uh fit like a particular fantasy of what a character yeah. could be. I think the mechanic can also help f- uh oh, like yeah. form your character. Because Zoroku was never going to be a a, a chilly guy, he was mm-hmm. he, he was going to be something uh, very arcane. But the the yeah. winter orc barbarian just worked so perfect that I ended yeah. up shifting him over. So I guess I can see yeah. how you can make mechanics form the character, but at the same yeah. time, I still feel that the concept has to come first. I think all concept yeah. always has to come first, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of. Uh, no Direction cast member Dustin Knight asks, once you had the concept in mind, how long did it take you to build your first character? And how would you compare that to how long it took you to build characters in other games that you've played? Uh, so like I was saying before, it took me forever <laughs> to build Zoroku uh, specifically yeah. Uh, yeah. because there was just so many options in PF2. When it came to my PF1 characters, I had a, I would say I would, I started with a mechanic, but I really didn't. I kind of had a, uh, I like to think of myself as a paladin in general. So <laughs> I liked to, I wanted to play a paladin for my first character, which is who Trainun was in PF1. So I wanted to make myself yeah. in the game, which is, I feel like a lot of what a lot of first players do. And right. I tried That's why to I take... made a sorcerer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you're a witch. That's, that's, why, that's why I made a, a drought sorcerer ranger yeah. vampire. Yeah, that fits you perfectly. <laughs> um, but when I when I first started Trainoon, I wanted to be a paladin, but I didn't know the PF one mechanics enough, so I ended mm-hmm. up just making this like off the walls paladin that ended up taking yeah. forever to build, even with people trying to explain to me the mechanics and 
hey man, like you're probably going to want a charisma. And I was like, okay, charisma, that makes sense. And then, you know, they started giving me strength and decks and I just didn't know what I was doing. So it took literally yeah. forever. And then when it comes to like other RPGs, like in D&D, I feel like it's a little easier, but you don't mm -hmm. have quite the customization over your character as you do in Pathfinder. I feel right. like the customization comes down to the DM's discretion not mm -hmm. really to the game rules so right. i guess tomato tomato whatever you like but yeah i i like the pathfinder version which is i have a rule set to follow by and i can make this amazing character based on the rules without worrying about my dm being like well i don't like you so i'm not gonna do that <laughs> listener tanglefoot asks how have your opinions or how's your impression of pathfinder 2 changed uh, now that you have a couple sessions uh, under your belt. So like compared to the first session of Tavern Rats that we played that we've got released now versus the more recent ones that we've recorded that will be released soon. Like between those two points of like session one versus maybe session four or five, how has that changed your feelings about Pathfinder 2? Uh, I feel like originally i was i was a little lost as you are in it whenever you start a new uh ttrpg rule set yeah but i was kind of lost because of all of the options that were available to me and mm -hmm. everybody else seemed to have an idea of what they were doing but mm -hmm. i didn't <laughs> and everybody else was like well your characters are made okay cool what are you guys doing for voices what are you guys doing for uh, you know, what is your character's backstory, everything like that. And I think that's what really took me a few sessions in order to figure out was what is my character's backstory? Because <laughs> I had an idea yeah. of what my character's backstory was, but I feel like you, Jess, you had your character's backstory like down pat. <laughs> On episode one, you knew exactly what your character's personality what knew exactly what uh she was gonna be like obviously mm -hmm. she's changed over you know the, mm -hmm. the the you know four or five episodes but mm -hmm. i i it took me a while to feel like i was actually like role playing a character and not just focusing on the rule set and then right, yeah with the with how like the pf2 rules particularly mm -hmm. I thought originally that with the three rule system or the three move system of you can do whatever mm -hmm. you want, I thought I was going to do the same thing every turn. I thought it was going to be like, uh, yeah. you whack, 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 or move, move, whack, or whatever. Mm -hmm. I thought it was going to be the same every time, but it actually ends up being more freeing because I'll move, whack, and then I'll be like, I've got an action to do whatever I want. I, I don't want to yeah. whack because I'm going to take the penalty. So, right. <laughs> so I'm going to try to do something else that's creative. And I don't know. I, I do feel like my impression of PF2 has changed for the better. And it was mm -hmm. already pretty good when I first started PF2 coming from PF1. Yeah. Listener Tony asks, what has been your favorite moment <sighs> so in the episodes of uh, Tavern Rats that we've recorded? Would you say that your favorite moment was something that the listeners have already heard in episode one? Or is there maybe uh, a little a little spoiler, a little oh, reveal that we're going to do for an upcoming episode? Um, so I don't want to give away too much. But right, of course. 
My favorite moment that we've had so far is there is a certain moment where Zoroku has to be a nice guy. And he doesn't have to, actually, he doesn't have to be a nice guy, but he does choose to be a nice guy. And because uh, he has, he has a soft spot. He has a soft spot for animals in particular. And mm-hmm. there is two animals in particular that are coming up that is, their names are Sparkles and Bubbles. He is in love with these animals. And I don't know, there's just yeah. something about this like super cold barbarian man who's very hard and all about war and then animals mm-hmm. come into his life and he's like, no, you little cute little animals, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's really know. great to see this uh, this more affectionate side of Zoroku and the way that he interacts with these animals compared to the way that he interacts with other people and the way that maybe he doesn't feel like he has to put up this like cold front with the animals in the same way that he has to put up like a a protective defensive barrier between himself and other people especially people with magic who other people aka soul (laughs) sate and others and others yeah he is quite cold (laughs) he is cold physically and Mm -hmm. emotionally so i don't know we'll see i think you know things things will get better over time but you know, Soulsaid's really cool character for me, so it's really hard for me to play a character that hates Soulsaid. So, <laughs> uh, well, hate is kind of a strong word. I wouldn't use that to describe their relationship, but it is definitely tense. There's a lot. There's a lot of tension, and there's a lot of, uh, like I was saying, Zoroku has that trauma from his previous, like the way that other people who use magic have treated him and what they've done to him in the past, and so it's scary. Yep. And while Zoroku and Soulsaid may be having tense moments, it doesn't mean that these tense moments have to end except for today, (laughs) because that's all we have. So uh, just make sure to check out the rest of our content. I know that this is usually Lauren's part, but I'm the one that's taking over. So I'm in in charge now. I am the I am the captain. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And if you like this show or any other blogs or shows, please consider supporting us on Patreon on the patreon.com slash no direction. Uh, it's the support of our patrons that make all of this possible. Uh, seriously, for realsies all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Until next time, I'm Jess. And I'm Drew. Uh, thank you for listening to Legend Lore. And as always, Legend Lore requires three casters. And now you've met all three. 